Good morning and welcome to Thank the Maker. Uh, this is KCL's only premier creativity show. Uh, we're here with you at the top of Bush House Southeast in the heart of London. Uh, coming to you live from King's College London, uh, typically live. Uh, we are living in the life and times of the coronavirus, which is really strange. Um, but in light of that, we're going to do a little bit of social distancing ourselves today. Um, this is my first ever virtual remote interview on the show, and I'm, I'm super excited to get it going. Um, today we have a special guest, Jared Adamo. He is a Brisbane-based camera operator, video producer, creative, tabletop aficionado. You name it, he is it. And that's kind of what we like from our creatives on the show. Um, so yeah, I'll be talking with him over the course of the next hour. Uh, so stick with us and uh, sit back. We'll be right back with you in just a second. Awesome. Yeah, so um, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for uh, coming on. Um, what time is it in Brisbane right now? It's about 8.30 p.m. at the moment. So 8.30 p.m. Uh, okay, so it's it's yeah. morning here. It's night there. Awesome. How, how's your day been? Let's just start there. Yeah, it's been good. I um, I have been running around. It's uh, I, I work from home as a video producer, so it's a digital um, cloud-based studio that I work for. Awesome. But I have spent most of my day... Uh, driving around, getting hard drives of footage because uh, the internet is now suffering under uh, the new loads of people having to work from home. And um, I've been out and about trying to make sure all of my video editors have the footage that they need. So it's been a kind of a crazy day driving around Brisbane. Yeah, that sounds like it. That's really interesting. So there's load problems in, in like across Australia right now, or is it just located where you are? Yeah. Anybody who wants to look at how... Uh, t uh, low populations do high-end internet. Um, Australia's a special case study in that front. Um, a couple years ago, they got the NBN going, uh, which is the National Broadband Network, and um, there's all this politics around it. And yeah, it's not it's not holding up well. And as people are being quarantined and they're trying to encourage people to work from home, uh, it's kind of uh, suffering. Uh, and more remote places are suffering more. Um, but we've already seen some of that because we do a lot of footage transfer from shooters and from different video projects. And, um, yeah, it's been tricky because we're used to it running quite well, actually. And, uh, yeah, so it's been a fun challenge. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, let's let's start with you. You said you, you would just, you describe your position as a video producer. Yeah. I, I also go by project manager as well because it's sort of it's, it's one of those things that in the video aspect of my job, it's all under the producer title, but then I also do a lot of like web-based um, and a lot of the 3D animation, virtual reality stuff, which all technically goes under uh, project management. So I, I don't know. I try and sit across the entertainment industry a little bit in the producer role if I can keep yeah, the title. Right. You know, that makes sense. So how did you? I guess how did you get your start in that? Because that's it seems like quite a variety of skills that you're employing there. Because you're not just making video. You're project managing, et cetera. What, what kind of yeah. career path led you to 
that. I kind of, yeah, I kind of looped out and around. I knew I wanted to do video pretty early on after kind of coming out of uh, a university I did graphic design and multimedia in uni. And then, um, I'm, by the way, just real quickly, if I lapse into Australian slang every once in a while, um, the, the, it's very robust language slang over here and the colloquialisms are mind boggling. So I apologize if I say anything that sounds really bizarre, or confusing. Um, yeah, so I wanted to get into video shortly out of university because I, I just I just didn't have the chops to make it and, you know, text layout and print media and logo design, that type of stuff. Um, but I, I scored really well in all my video classes and, and animation and image editing and stuff. So, um, yeah, so then I, I went off and worked on cruise ships and I worked for television and I got over here to Australia and the Australian system didn't wasn't very impressed with any of my uh, achievements overseas, so I had to start back at the bottom. And I ended up like selling laptops and moving into the audiovisual industry, doing install work. And that's where I actually ended up getting kind of shoved against my will into doing project management because I was organized. I could use a computer and clearly lay out schedules and budgets and all that type of thing. And um, yeah, I just ended up becoming a project manager, and then I was able to leverage that forward into getting back into video production, um, kind of chasing down that producer role, uh, which I hadn't really anticipated that that was a career ladder that could be climbed that way to kind of swing out and around, but um, it actually worked really, really well and gave me a lot of perspective on different aspects of the industry that I never would have had before. So yeah, wow, that's, that's that super interesting. And, and something you don't hear a lot, especially in, in kind of media circles, uh, I feel like most of the discourse I hear is, you know, you start as a runner and you work your way up and there's not really any way yeah. around that. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I find a lot of times it's targets of opportunity that really allow your career to move forward. It's who you talk to and little little projects, things that happen, who you had coffee with, you know. Uh, and so to some degree, that vertical stuff is actually a little bit outdated these days, you know. It's like, and I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but the, starting in the mailroom to then become the CEO doesn't work. You have to move diagonally through different vertical sort of uh, industries, which is really... I don't know. It's a whole lot scarier if you ask me, because you just never know if you're on a on an upswing or a downswing, you know. Right. Yeah. No. I, I totally get that, and and like that's kind of been my driving philosophy in trying to form my own career is that it's it's less and less about uh, yeah, kind of this vertical progression, sticking with that one company, and more about transferable skills. What can you take from one place to the next that will make you kind of stand out as a candidate? But on the inverse. Yeah. It's kind of scary because, like, I show people my resume nowadays, and they're like, "What is what is the through line here?" And yeah, total chaos. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 kind of yeah. it's weird finding that and like figuring out that narrative because you do really have to figure out like, okay, well, this is the progression, and it, and it felt pretty natural. Well, and one of the things that's interesting to me is that is that it's not. I, I don't see a career anymore, especially in the creative industry, as being an individualistic thing you, you there's so many people who advance their careers alongside their their peers and even their competitors at times and they actually bounce off of each other and so to some degree um, that that project-based approach where you have a crew or people that you work with or and if you you know you go back and watch some of the old Walt Disney documentaries and stuff like that like he would pull people out of weird tangential um, so uh, funny you say that. I literally just finished yeah. watching the Imagineering story. Imagineers, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's like he didn't care if the person had the, the, the credentials. What he cared is whether they thought properly to solve the problem he needed right, to solve. Right, yeah. Yeah, he took, you like, know, that's, animators that's... and put them on engineering roles, right? Yeah. Yeah, and engineers that build one thing, and he'd go, well, you've built that over there. You surely can build this over here, you know? And, and, and that, to me, that, to me, is the core essence of creativity and that sort of collaborative approach to everything that I, that I really enjoy from producing through to tabletop gaming is that, Everybody has a slightly different perspective, and if they all put their pieces on the table, you can build something cool out of it. Yeah, know? awesome. Yeah, so actually, let me start here. Normally what I do is I, I start with the, the career and progress to the art, um, but I'm, I'm already curious because we're already kind of touching on it. Creativity, how, would, how does that define for you? Like if you're, if you're approaching a project and you're like, I want to be really creative, what, what steps do you take to, to achieve that? I mean, you've already kind of, spoken to the fact that you want like kind of a lot of outside uh i don't know if you'd call it intervention but like non-traditional diverse things and inputs well, but like what how do you specifically approach creativity and think about it i i i, I kind of have a rather boring view of like it's not a very popular view of creativity and the the the, the point that i tend to hook into and at least i've seen this true in my own career path my own life is that creativity is merely solving problems. Uh, and it's solving problems in respect to the various different um, deliverables or outcomes that you kind of need to, to satisfy, right? You know, if you look at George Lucas's first, you know, Star Wars, low budget, limited time frame, nobody believed or understood what he was doing. And yet, we got Star Wars out the other end, largely because, well, he was solving uh, not just him but his team and his editor and every you know there's a big story there but ultimately it was like we had to solve this problem and we had shoestring and gum and tape and some christmas lights okay we gotta make it work you know and so to some degree i try not to overly mystify um the the, the creative process uh, i try to figure out what my goals are where i need to get to with something and then i try to solve it in the way that kind of satisfies all of that and and i'm from a real humble standpoint um bringing in various viewpoints as long as those people i think as long as those people are respectful of the outcomes that need to be achieved um you know hear them out see what see what different people can add to the mix um the the problem becomes obviously when when people don't have the same value outcomes as as you do and and they start taking off in different directions but if they share the same outcome um, yeah, man, like it's, it's a collaborative, it's, and it's heady too, because everyone shares the victory too, you know, they shoulder the burdens together and they share the victory. So creativity to me is merely, um, you know, solving that problem and figuring out what it is that you need to, where you need to get to and, and trying to get there. And you, you know, you can take some pretty crazy routes to get there at times and it's like, well, this just may work, <laughs> you know, and that's where the creativity really shows itself. Interesting that you say all that because yeah, I won from one corner, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're, you're coming at it from a, a problem solving perspective, which I think is totally valid. Um, I think, yeah, when people are put into like tricky problems and challenges, that's, that's where a lot of creativity emerges. And then on the other hand, you're kind of approaching it with this like value alignment um, kind of sentiment, or this this gelling, this integrating to use business talk, synergizing, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. And and it's 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 interesting that you brought up George Lucas too, because I think a lot of people, especially within the Star Wars fandom, 
and for anybody that listens to this show, everybody, I mean, you know I'm a Star Wars fan. Um, George I Lucas. I, I wasn't yes, aware. A, a little bit, just a bit. <laughs> you know, I just, uh, I don't know how many scenes. That's only how we met, but yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, people, people talk about George Lucas uh, in the sense of like the original trilogy, which is kind of heralded as like a cinematic triumph. He was surrounded by a bunch of people that kind of challenged and edited his ideas and kind of formed that into what became Star Wars. And then on the inverse, a lot of people point to the prequels as like, this is one man with a vision, but maybe not surrounded so much by people that are like checking him or, or adding that editorial function or coming in with their diversive ideal ideas. Um, so it's, it's yeah. interesting kind of, and that, of course, some people love the prequels. Some people love the the original trilogy. But it is kind of interesting to see that play out on like a big budget scale. Well, and even if you wanted to to step away, I actually think that's true of of almost all genius level creatives, if not all of humanity. I mean, if you look at and and look, to be honest with you, there's a lot of criticism based on its accuracy and everything else. But um, Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie that just came out about Queen, um, the you know, that's the point of the movie is that anybody who's that intense and that out there actually kind of needs the reality check of some other people that aren't out there that far to just keep them referenced and, and keep them kind of grounded. And I, and I, I actually really like that because I, I think to some degree we have this real narcissistic, um, self-indulgent view of, of, uh, you know, or we can fall into it through the Instagram culture and stuff like that of these these lone wolf creatives out there just making amazing cool stuff and they're completely, you know, shackle free of, of all of the rest of us mortals of what we have to face on a day-to-day basis. And yet, if you kind of dig into their process, they're bigger teams, they're bigger groups, they all have dark days, they have to kind of circle back to familiar, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, well, this is the human process and this is creativity and this is us forging forward into chaos and creating order and this is how we have to do it every once in a while you have to drift back to order before you can deal with the chaos properly so anyways i get right anyway, anyway, I, get, I, I say I don't get overly mystic about all of this stuff but i can and here we <laughs> <You> are <know? laughs> no it's true uh, i like that's pretty, why pretty, I mean, that's why i started doing this show because i i took a class last term that was basically it was called contextualizing creativity and all it was was just theorizing what creativity was how to facilitate it um like is it actually a thing or is it not a thing um is the myth of the genius real uh all these questions all these all this stuff that's popped up in this conversation over the last five minutes we've done like an entire lecture on yeah, it. yeah. yeah. <laughs> well I, and i'm probably coming out from a very layman's term sort of no like, not at very, all that you know it's, ignorant it's, sort of I, I took a semiotics class in in, um, in I, I came over to Australia and I was doing uh, a, a communication degree when I was over here, and um, and I took semiotics, which is just amazing, mind blowing. And I'm not a postmodernist, but it was really interesting to dig into that and kind of go, well, to be successfully creative, you have to use recognizable parts, but you can have completely new patterns to those parts. So. Um, you know, Princess Leia is a princess. We know what princesses are, right? If you're coming into this not knowing what a princess is, she's not going to make as much sense. Uh, you know, space wizards, laser swords, you know, the whole, whole thing. It's They were all... It's so were funny recognized. that you've... Yeah, yeah you're talking my about favorite, this. Yeah. My, my favorite scene, and I, it's probably my favorite because it was my dad's favorite, but um, the, the Moss Eisley Cantina scene with all the aliens, right? 
Um, why, why was that so powerful? Well, up until that point in history, aliens were on bridges of starships or there was a million of them or, you know, whatever. And the idea that they could all stand around and, and enjoy, you know, some Jack and Coke, you know, like at the, right. local, at the local watering hole just hadn't been done before, but it was a recognizable part or recognizable elements that were combined together in a new pattern that everyone went, oh, crap, that's cool, you know? And so, yeah, I don't know. That, to me, is that's the genius is just, hey, look how this fits together differently than normal. <laughs> totally. <know? laughs> I totally agree. Again, going back to that Imagineering documentary, which I, I recommend you watch. It's, like, just came out on Disney+. Plus. Um, one of the key things they talk about in their coaster design and their ride design is you've got to have an emotional in for the audience and it's exactly what you're talking about you've got to be able to relate to at least one thing and that's I, I was watching an interview with Mark Hamill last night about why Luke Skywalker is so uh, like uh, powerful and popular and it's because he's not a smuggler rogue that's like cool but you really can't relate to and he's not a princess because nobody really comes from royalty he's a farm boy he's he's he's, he's a somebody nerd. Yeah, yeah he's a nerd he's dreaming of bigger adventures like all of us are and yeah. and you just yeah, gravitate towards that, yeah. And I, I, the cantina reference—that's that's so true. You, you before this, it was all two thousand one: A Space Odyssey. Aliens are basically monoliths on the moon. No, this had them like yeah. in a bar drinking. Yeah. Or or you know, you, or you have some guy in a giant fursuit outfit in Lost in Space. You know, black. I was watching some old classic sci-fi the other day, and you know, I, the the it it, it really is amazing to see how far we've come but how some of this stuff is you know it's so ingrained in our pop culture now it's just incredible but anyways that's that's not necessarily on li- in line with the, the story but the, i guess to, to some extent my efforts as a creative on that front have been to try to just keep a real humble open mind about um y- you know what what elements i'm working with what patterns i have or what patterns exist that may not be helpful in us at actually achieving the problems or achieving the outcomes to solve the problems and, you know, being open to a bit of some weird mixes, you know, I think the weird stuff is where the creativity really exists, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Getting back yeah. to you. Um, let's talk a bit about like your, your projects and like what, what you're outputting as a maker. Um, that's the name of the show. What, what's been your, the proudest project you've kind of worked on that you've, that you've been most pleased with yourself? Well, that's that's a that's a tough topic because uh, I don't know. I, 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 I imagine no, no. I imagine all the other creators out there are making stuff constantly, and I'm the only one who uh, who struggles to actually get stuff out the door on a regular basis. No, no. Let's go back um, in the conversation. Uh, <laughs> we were just talking about Instagram and people having their dark days. That's not true at all. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. But look, honestly, um, probably my proudest and it's it's nothing real major but probably one of my proudest um, non-professional pieces was a a short film called breakdown that i uh, wrote and produced and then throughout the casting process we had a number of problems trying to find a male lead that could uh, break down ironically on camera (laughs) and so so i ended up acting in it as well and um, that was probably one of the most eye-opening uh, humbling experiences for me to really appreciate or get a greater appreciation of what actors have to do in terms of putting it out there on camera. Um, because I had one little scene where I was supposed to be upset and it was, it was intense. It was, and, and you know, I'll, I'll let viewers be the judge of, of how, how well I did, but even in my, 
um, even in my untrained attempts at acting out this emotionally intense scene, uh, I was probably two, three days of echoes emotionally afterwards because of how, I, of how it affected me. And I've spoken to professional actors afterwards and asked them if that's common. And, and their response is generally, oh, yeah, that's normal. Yeah, yep, yeah, you know, you have a big crying scene or some big loud screaming match or whatever in a, in a film and the go away and you have all this weird psychological driftwood that you got to kind of collect afterwards, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's so, yeah, super that, cool. Uh, breakdown was fun. It, it made it into festival, um, and, and was, was screened down the, down the gold coast, um, which is about an hour South of where I live. And they did a big, uh, big, Oh, well, it wasn't huge, but they did a film festival down there that, that we got into. So it's pretty, pretty it's amazing part of that. Yeah, I, I feel like I've heard like pretty consistently from uh, like directors and producers with experience that like one of the best things you can do if you want to be directing is to take an acting class or to, mm. yeah, give it an attempt because then you kind of you, you do understand what they're they're going through and you can communicate that so much better. And and like film and video production is such a technical industry but really what you're outputting is heart and story and narratives and like the fuzzy stuff so it's this weird dichotomy uh, no, where like yeah. most people working on set are you know ones and zeros but then you yeah yeah you've got your actors which it's like the grayest profession there is um so yeah yeah, yeah that's super it's that's, yeah. yeah it's cool well and it, it's it's also tricky um, as well because I think, and in much respect to the acting community, because there it's it's so vast and diverse. You can have an, a director take acting classes and get a better perspective on things, and I'm all for that. And I've done some of that as well, which was not only really insightful but just a lot of fun too. I strongly recommend it. But but you'll learn how you take direction out of that, which helps, of course. But I've worked with a number of different actors, and well, well, here's an example. One of the things that I like to do is I like to. Uh, are you familiar with Myers Briggs personality? Oh yeah. Personality? What's what's yours? I'm an INFJ. Um, which okay, is pretty, I'm an INFP. Pretty, Very nice. Yeah. Well, a lot of I'm friends with a lot of INFPs actually. Exactly. <laughs> um, but one of the things that's interesting is that it, I I use some personality tests on my when I'm crewing for a shoot or something like that because it, it can tell me what mode and what avenue conflict should be engaged with with this person, you know? And some people like stuff super direct and some people like it to be very, very softballed, you know? Um, and, and I don't have any disrespect for anybody who prefers one over the other. Um, but in the creative process, it's really kind of like, well, what engages you? What actually causes you to feel on set engage with the project and how am I going to get that translated through into whatever your discipline is and especially actors that's why people have to go to such effort to to look after actors is because they're the thing that the audience ultimately has to emotionally engage with and everything else is the machine by which that happens but if you know if the actor can't or doesn't bring it, then the audience is, you know, gonna. And you can you can edit out an actor. You can do all sorts of weird different things like that. But ultimately, it's the actor having to kind of be the engine room for that. So yeah, I mean, so, oh, so, totally. So. That, and that's again, that's like a another common theme I've heard. I went to some talk and and it was like a low budget filmmaking talk, and it was like 
what you want to invest in as a low budget filmmaker are the things that make the most difference and honestly it's acting it and a, mm. a, a beautifully filmed polished film without good acting is it's not a good film but like yeah, a grainy yeah. well, Blair Witch project with good acting is is a good enjoyable film and it, of course we're we're talking about genres and other things here uh, did you have a comment but but, but I, I I honestly I was talking to someone the other, the other day about this and I was I was talking about the fact that that the big climactic um, you know, scenes in in movies where where things are blowing up and things are happening and all of the um, uh, you know sensational special effects and all of the things that are kind of going on the spectacle of film those those big high budget shots mean something when you have low budget shots of people to camera or you know whatever kind of in a room talking or those those more intimate moments actually um connecting and and it actually works so so you know uh, the the big one for me and and you know i may lose some members of your audience who have good taste in film but i you know i i enjoy the marvel films and to me the big climactic fights in the in fight in the end uh and i won't no spoilers for anybody who's you know however many years on how we are but um you know that fight wouldn't mean anything and sometimes it doesn't mean anything to anyone anyways but it wouldn't mean anything to even the most diehard fan if they hadn't actually gone through the 15 plus years of legwork to set up some of these characters and some of this narrative so yeah to me it's it's those low budget shots with the one guy sitting on the couch talking to his friend or the you know the real intense you know slow track into the guys he's having his mental breakdown or whatever those are the things that kind of sell the big pageantry shots later totally yeah no that it totally makes sense and and we talk about this a lot in uh improv as well this idea and and this is i think true of most comedy is you need a straight man and so i kind of see what you're you're telling me is kind of the straight man of dramatic action you you need something that's totally grounded to kind of contrast the big mystical yep. stuff. So if we're, just to take it back to improv, if we're doing a crazy off-the-wall scene where, you know, people come out and they're playing characterized versions of the humps on camel's backs or something weird like oh, that, geez. you've got to have a normal <laughs> yeah. guy that walks in and is like, what the fuck? Or else it's just like this meaningless goo floating in the universe. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to yeah, add yeah. that contrast, yeah. And, and and it's the control, like in a in a scientific experiment, right? You yeah, have that exactly. control base. Otherwise, you can't tell. And and look, to be perfectly honest, that actually goes back to your creativity thing, because when people are shown something new, and and it's completely out of context, they don't know what to do with it. And we see this sadly with a lot of really great works that are way ahead of their time, and then the 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 culture and the society catch up to the work and then suddenly it becomes profound but the artist has been dead forever and it's like well why didn't we appreciate this at the time well we didn't understand it right yeah. this guy was way off the reservation we had to kind of catch up and get <laughs> once we had reference for where this guy was actually um you know coming into play um or girl not trying to be gender specific there but you know like wherever this artist was established was so far off of 
where the rest of us were that we actually it took us time to actually get there and that's really kind of impressive but also kind of sad because you're like man uh, they must have felt so isolated you know in their right. creativity yeah that's that's but that's interesting anyways. yeah i hadn't even thought of it from like a historical perspective yeah totally it probably will help us like moving forward as we venture out into the stars and find new civilizations it, it but it's also a warning uh to creatives to have a look at and you know and I I I take a somewhat um, less uh, I take a, a somewhat more practical approach to creativity because you know I do it as a profession and stuff is that I have to make sure that it makes sense to my audience yeah. and is my audience yeah. properly grounded in the information that I need them to know um, you know for instance so professionally we make a lot of videos and 3D animations that show um, you know planned infrastructure works and roadways and things like that's real super exciting stuff you're going to burst into tears when you watch it right but the truth is is that almost all of those animations start with a wide shot to show known landmarks to the communities and stuff that will be affected by the project to go here's where it's at this is where sydney is or this is where brisbane is and then as we punch into the road we try to make sure that people feel comfortably aware of where they're at. It's not the most creative solution, but we have to do it so that people aren't just staring at a stretch of road or a bit of you know, railway tunnel or something like that in the middle of nowhere and going, okay, cool, it's a railway tunnel. It's the, it, it brings them into the, the scene. So, so it I, goes I back to a, the cantina scene. You, you gotta have an entry point. Yeah. Some sort of reference, yeah. 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 Other, you know, and the truth is, is that who of us hasn't seen at at least seen a bar shot of, uh, you know, in a western, an old western or something like that to kind of go, oh, hey, look, they're aliens, <laughs> you know. It's helped me a lot as a creative to kind of go, does this make sense to my audience, and am I grounding in something they're going to recognize before I kind of throw it out there? So, yeah, and it's. I love identifying like questions like that to ask yourself throughout the creative process because like when you start with a blank canvas, kind of putting in those uh, constraints on yourself can help narrow it down. So I'm going to add that one to my repertoire of like reviewing and editing my work. I'm glad I can contribute. <laughs> yeah, you had another good one too. Uh, oh, I was asking you for some editing assistance and it was uh, uh, edit for attention, I think is what it was. Yeah, edit for the eye. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Anyways, let's talk a little bit more about this uh, after the break. I also want to dive into uh, tabletop and how we met and, and kind of bring creativity not only into a professional context, but in a hobby context as well. Um, yeah, yeah. But for right now, we're going to take a break. Uh, I ask all of my guests to bring a song on to use as kind of the break song um, because it's kind of a fun opportunity to put some music on the air. Um, what song do you have okay. for me today and why? I would probably go with uh, Loyal by Odessa. Okay. Uh, the reason why would be because this song was uh, like the backing track to a, a really cool opportunity. I went down to Coffs Harbor and was filming for a, um, uh, a video that I was producing, and it was kind of that hipster dream of traveling around and filming and shooting and editing and all of that stuff so yeah and and this song was sort of the backing track for all that which was quite fun awesome well let's let's give it a listen here and we'll be right back uh, at the end of the song <laughs>
Yeah, so, Jared, that was an intense song. Uh, let's talk some more about that. Uh, what kind of music do you listen to, and is th- does this fit into it? I, I, I hate that question because I listen to all sorts of stuff. I, I, I feel like, to some extent, um, music is a mirror and so to some to some degree it's like whatever i'm kind of in the mood for i'll listen to and um and sometimes use music to kind of steer if i know i'm feeling a bit down i'll listen to something that's a bit more upbeat or if i'm if i'm feeling a bit too um too light and airy i'll try and ground myself a little bit you know just to try and you know establish some equilibrium um loyal's intense it's a it's a good song i like the fact that it's um it's quite a mix of a lot of different traditional um sort of sounds and stuff it's got a bit of dubstep it's got a bit of uh, kind of the um, drum beat that's a bit more marching band sort of drum and to a large degree it's just it's kind of a mess you know and and uh i don't know i just like the fact that it kind of it, it echoes some of what we were talking about before about creativity being familiar pieces remixed into new patterns and that's all music that's all all music is you know it's just a lot of familiar pieces put together to new patterns and so yeah i don't know i like the song it's not something i listen to uh every day but it's uh it's a good one gets the blood pumping um so i wanted to talk to you a little bit about your uh tabletop experience and and kind of give the brief on how we met um so jared and i met on a new a relatively new service it's not so new anymore but it's called discord and it's how we're chatting today um but it's basically it's like online communities using voice and text and uh just to kind of add another context there's been this kind of resurgence in tabletop role-playing and and board games and for those that don't have a reference point for that that's kind of uh dungeons and dragons meets uh settlers of Catan. that kind of cross intersection of uh games and hobbies is kind of where we found ourselves meeting in wait for it drum roll uh, a star wars kind of themed version of that to put it in its most basic terms um now jared you are what at least i don't know do you do much game mastering nowadays gming for oh. the audience oh it's almost Almost exclusively. I, I am a player in a particular session uh, for a friend of mine. Um, so shout out to Tim, who, who runs a Star Wars game. But, um, but yeah, I run, um, I run two live sessions, and, uh, and I still do a little bit of digital when I get a chance, um, yeah, which is, and which is kind good of fun. Where the world's headed right now in terms of like actually getting yeah. games going at the moment. It, it, it is really kind of interesting the way, um, you know, you talk about the social distancing. Uh, if anyone had said that, uh, you know, six months ago that social distancing was going to have to be a, a thing and it was going to be quite, you know, people would be sorting out their lives trying to figure out how they could kind of stay away from each other, we all would have um, been pretty confused you know because it's all about i think there's a lot of movement at the same time to bring down walls and to try and connect people and try and bring them back together and um and what oddly enough if i could you know kind of take off a bit of a tangent here please the board game community i think is a fantastic way to um encourage sort of face-to-face stuff without maybe kind of um, violating some of the current rules of you know, like group gatherings and things like that. You know, small groups sitting around a table playing a board game is still seems to be within the the realm of what's allowed. You know, and 
and uh, you know, I've, I've I spent a lot of time discussing and talking about this because uh, as much as I, I play board games, I'm I'm not as much of a board gamer as I am probably a tabletop role player. Um, but it 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 is really interesting how um, complete and total strangers can very quickly come together and have a nice, engaging, relaxed time around each other with a board game. And and I think we kind of lost that, the commercialization, the over-commercialization of board games and the standardization of them, you know, uh, and kind of, it, it kind of became, you had the same sort of five, six boxes of whatever in the cupboard. It was, yeah, Monopoly game of life, shoots and ladders, or, or you know, the, and, and, to some extent, it sucked the life out of it. And now with the resurgence of modern board game um, opportunities, the 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 color's been added back in because you kind of never know what you're getting into, you know? And so, I don't know. I, I think to some extent, even with quarantines and everything that's going on now, and, and once that is, you know, sort of a, a thing of the past and we've moved on, I think that this may be a good time for people to rediscover how easy it is to sit around a table, have fun, do something interesting, and and kind of reconnect, even though we're supposed to be socially isolated and distanced and stuff. So, I don't know. I have got some hope. I've got some hope in the situation well, I, still. <laughs> I do find, though, a lot of people that I talk about board games with, there is this kind of um, trepidation uh, when it comes to them because people, I don't know, people have this fear of rule books and, like, having to read and understand stuff. I don't, I don't know if I'd call it a fear. Um, and then... Going back to tabletop role playing games, they're 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 distinct, but they they have similar circles of communities. Um, people are also like, how like I'm not gonna sit around a table with people and put on a weird voice for an hour a week. Um, but like I don't, you sit down and you do it, and it's what seems so strange and like what seems like there's such a high wall around it. It's really not. It's super accessible. Um, well, and man, I it, wish I could get more people to do it. Well, yeah. <laughs> one of the things about it that I think catches people by surprise is how they can contribute we we have we've spent decades consuming right with with tv and and even public sporting events and stuff like that where where we're the audience you know we go along to the comedian and we we listen to the jokes and stuff like that but with with and there's nothing wrong with that type of entertainment i'm not knocking any of that but my my point with tabletop role play particularly and board games in general but tabletop role play is that you're able to add to the mix your your input you're not just sitting and i have i've had players who have come over from computer games and and other things and and computer games you have a bit more agency but you're you're still there's a lot of, of stuff that's locked down you kind of have to play the game by the game's rules you know it's like you can contribute what whatever you want to bring to this is what you can bring and if you have a good gm and a good group of players and what you're contributing is semi reasonable um then you can create a pretty creative um outcome you know it's that that recognizable patterns into or recognizable elements into new patterns it's like wow i actually helped make this story interesting and that's the part that i think is the most heady for some people they don't know that it's there and then they come in and they try it and their character slew the dragon or they were the one that picked the lock or they were the one that had the chat to the princess or whatever and and 
they go away feeling like they actually accomplished something because they actually did. They contributed. And we're so used to consuming instead of actually creating that when we get a chance to do it, we're like, oh, that's so cool. I have a massive dopamine hit off of that, you know? And and people people kind of, they love it. And, you know, to the point where I've had people come back and complain that they go, they you know, they're like, I don't, I can't get enough of this now, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I go back and I play my single player game or whatever, you know, on my computer and it's good, but this feels like there's so much more potential for me to actually have agency. And so I don't know. That's one of those things that, that, that I, I get very excited for experience. people to kind of for experience. Sure. Yeah. I, I, whenever I try and pitch to people, I try and kind of sell it as like, it's less a game and more in regards to tabletop role-playing because we're kind of mixing two elements here, board games and tabletop role-playing. But with tabletop role-playing, it's, it's collaborative storytelling is really all it is. And the whole, mm. yeah. I, think, I think this is what's going to be my tangent, but I think people have a lot of stigmas about it. And this isn't going into the whole yeah. D&D nerd stuff. It's more going into role-playing video games like RPGs. So much of that was those elements of those games was carried over from really early tabletop role-playing mm. games. And it's the stuff I don't really like about tabletop role-playing games, like leveling up, uh, getting uh, like skills, Dungeon dungeons, yeah, um, turn-based combat. All of that, those are like, that. that's not the key elements of a role-playing game to me. The key elements of a role-playing game are this collaborative storytelling narrative. And so I think there is this distance between video games that are labeled RPGs and actual tabletop RPGs that have like well, sprung up and been developed. Well, I was going to say, not to shoot myself in the foot, but I just did it in the conver- you know, in the previous sort of statement about princesses and dragons. Like, I guess to some degree, that's one of the problems. And, and even, even people like me who, who have a very strong faith and belief in all that games can be in, uh, in, their connective narrative sort of structures and what they can kind of add to people's lives and experiences. Um, you know, I'm pulling some pretty stock standard tropes out of the bag. And I think that's one of those things that pushes people away is, you know, I, my dad used to talk about computer games in much the same, um, you know, tone. I'll never forget him talking about running up and down halls, shooting at people, you know, and that was, that was his, that was all we did in computer games, you know? And and to be honest with you, early days, you go back and watch Wolfenstein 3D or whatever. That's all you're actually doing, running up and down a hole shooting at people, you know? So, um, but that being said, uh, I, I am coming across a ton more people who, when I tell them I like board games or I, you know, I, I do tabletop RPGs or whatever, out of their mouth is immediately... Oh, do you play D and D? Oh, is that that thing that's on Stranger Things? Or you know, oh, I want to try that. I I saw a video, or you know, and and so it, there is a massive resurgence. Oh, I totally and agree. And it is yeah. really kind of cool to see that. It's happen. great. Yeah. On one hand, I love it, but on the other hand, oh, this is another tangent. So sick of the gravitation around D and D as a game. D and D is a great game. It is an old school game, but it is, man, in my opinion, and I'm probably we're probably going on a little bit too deep here. It, it's it's so weighted down by some of the systems it keeps around. There are so much you know, easier to approach games out there that that are probably yeah, just way easier to get into. 
Well, I just got given a, a starter set for D&D, and, and I've played it a few times, but, you know, I, the system I use is Fantasy Flight's Genesis or um, Star Wars Edge of the Empire's systems, for those of in your audience who are curious. But, um, yeah, I'm actually reading through the starter book and just trying to get my head around it, and I'm trying to let go of preconceived notions about it because the truth is is that it does have such a pedigree and such a rich following, and there is such an intense... Um, loyalty. Um, I, I try to gauge game systems based on the thing that comes out of the person's mouth after they ask me if I've played something. You know, uh, it's like, oh, have you played Pathfinder? I love the fact that you have to roll all of these dice and then you have to really kind of stack all of your, you know, skills and stuff. And it, 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 to me, I'm like, okay, well, what I'm hearing is the, the next thing that someone follows up with is where they get their endorphin hit from playing the game. And, you know, Pathfinder, and I'm not going to bag it out, Pathfinder really, really appeals to, you know, the, the, the guys who like to stack up all the different numbers for their attacks and things like that to go really well. And to be honest with you, people like you and me and, and other people may not find that nearly as exciting um, as some really clever, funny social interaction that their character had with someone that they came across, you know. Um, so to some extent, the different rule sets, I think, um, can scare people off, but I'd rather people jumped in and tried D&D and got a taste for the game than steered away from it entirely. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I totally agree. I just, man, I wish that there was a different entry point because it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the conversation. D&D is people's reference it's it's what people are yeah. familiar with and so it's like a quite an easy entry point but i just I, I think it's not built for that because going to what you were saying with this whole what did people enjoy from it when i talk to people that you know are new to tabletop role-playing games and they've played their first few games of D, the thing is always like oh my god like i got to play my character and voice him and uh we like we did this crazy thing and here's this crazy thing that happened i'm like that's that's amazing that's cool what you're gravitating towards is not really what D and D caters that well to. Like there are systems that do it. It's definitely not where they're from. You know, I, you go back to the original series one and stuff like that, and it was oh yeah, yeah, narratively very dry and 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 yeah. And but again, I think a lot of this comes back to, and I I I I really encourage people to. Um, to try this as a game format because it does allow them to come up with you know their own contributions to the story and it's not in a vacuum you know you have people around the table playing with you but I would also caution people and say you know if you do come into a game and you do don't you don't feel like you're getting that opportunity it might be the people that you're playing oh, with for sure. um, yeah. and and no no disrespect to anybody anywhere but uh, it's like a music group of musicians trying to make a song and you know if you're a tuba player and you come in and everybody else is on bagpipes it's gonna be tough for you to find your place amongst them you know um so to 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 a large extent um and i've got a couple of friends who have uh who have bounced around from different um different gaming groups and things and and talk about you know oh i just really couldn't find my feet in this particular story or with this particular rule set or whatever and, you know, well, kind of still keep looking, you know, because the, the experience that you are you want is out there. It's just might be that you have to kind of find the people who gel with you 
um, like you would in a friend group going camping or anything else. You know, you got to find the people that you're going to get along with. So, um, so yeah, let's let's talk about you some more. You consider yourself a GM, um, and and just to kind of bring in again the 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 terms here and make it a bit more accessible. A GM is a game master, and in your typical mm-hmm. role playing game, um, kind of the precedence is you have your players and you have your game master, or in D and D they're called dungeon master. And basically, the game master is is the director of the story. They kind of offer up uh, pieces of narrative that the players then react to, and that's kind of how games work. Uh, the game master presents a situation. Let's say a um, to make it not D and D related. Let's say you you're a bunch of thieves trying to steal a diamond from in your made up story from a bank. Uh, the D, the the game master could present the bank and what it looks like and then say there's a guard and then they ask the players you know what do you do how do you get past this situation and that kind of game cycle of uh the game master offers up a situation and then the players respond is how most role-playing games work it's kind of a give and take well i was just gonna say and the players attempt something but then they have to roll a dice based on their skills to see whether or not their attempt is successful or not so it keeps it from being contrived you know when you're a kid playing in the backyard make believe you know it's just whatever whoever yells the loudest i guess um but you know and and for for this is a somewhat more sophisticated narrative game format um there's there's a lot of rules around that and it's in those rules i think that um people can either get real scared away or kind of go oh well this isn't that that tricky i can you know i can add up the dice or i can i can figure this out i can read my character sheet and and now i know how to drive them around so right um but yeah i'm a i'm a gm and and i don't think that's um that's not a particularly brag worthy sort of title i think anybody can kind of jump in and and do it and then claim to be one um uh there are some other sort of um subjective titles that i kind of throw around a little bit i'd like to identify myself as a as a sandboxer um which means that i i will present narrative elements and environments and um, non-player characters or or you know the extras in the in the scenes um but the players get to choose the direction so if they want to if you know in your diamond heist scenario if the players decide that they all want to turn themselves into the police and and you know take up real estate investment on the other side of town um i'll allow that and i will still play it out that direction it sounds super boring to me but you know ultimately the the point with a sandbox gm is that i have the environment and i have larger forces of narrative that are happening around the players but i'm largely allowing them to choose the routes and the goals that they have uh, kind of come to the table with that they want for their characters. So it that means that I get to ultimately uh, plan a lot less and have to improv a whole lot more. Um, up, up, there's entire sessions where I've had, you know, I've had scenarios written out of what things that I think are going to happen, and within about two minutes, we're in a completely different train and headed off in a different direction, and I've got to completely improv everything out in front of everyone. Yeah, so, so. I, I love that style too. Um, my my question for you, and, and this is something that I struggle with, and I think a lot of artists struggle with, but I think it's particularly like evident in this kind of creative field, is you start with a blank canvas when you're making these games often, um, or at least mm-hmm. a lot of people choose to, as opposed to like following along with a book. Um, how, where do you even begin? What like let, let's let's approach it from like a world world building perspective. 
how what stroke do you lay down first when you're trying to craft a story i try to think of something really horrible that's happening that's in the middle of happening uh-huh um some bad thing is going on and and uh fantasy i feel like fantasy tends to be a lot easier to think of a bad the stuff that's going on um than than uh, star wars even though star wars is one of my favorite sort of uh, story universes to play in um but yeah i just kind of go okay what's something terrible that's gonna eventuate if the players do nothing you know um and and to to some extent if you if you create that tidal surge of negative impact that's dooming a world that they have yet to really know or care about um the initial um the initial sessions that you play are about kind of getting them hooked into the world and understanding that it's in jeopardy and that if they don't do something it's all coming down um and and that's fun for a GM to create something and then throw a rock at it. Yeah, know? yeah. So, <laughs> so if I'm understanding right, you kind of start with the call to action before even starting with like setting. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, yes. And and one of the reasons that I do that is because um, I think a lot of new players, and I tend to play with a lot of new players. Um, I very rarely get the opportunity to play with seasoned role players. Um, and, and I'm not entirely sure what I've done to, to anger the fates to the, that point where <laughs> I don't get to do that. But, um, so the, the thing that I find with new role players is that they tend to create characters that don't have a whole lot of quirky agency. Um, they tend to create much more stable stasis sort of characters. So it, it really does become me kind of anticipating that they're going to come in as a fairly functional um, you know, everyone's parents are always dead. That's the first one. <laughs> yeah, it's the trope, right? Um, but other than that, they kind of, they just kind of looking around to you know, see what's going on in the world. So I've got to kind of, uh, I've got to compensate for that to some degree in the narrative uh, and spur them into action, you know? Um, so I have just a few questions left for you, probably just a couple, because um, we're running out of time here. Um, in terms of like facilitating players as a GM, um, one of my kind of struggles and getting again getting new players into it is there's always this uh, wall of, of character creation which it's like it's it always seems so backwards to me and I know there's preset characters that kind of circumvent this um, but it's such a rule process like you've got to like go through your rule book see what you have to do yada yada before you can even get to the game, which a lot of people just want to get to the game. what? How do you tackle that? And how do you kind of like ease people into complicated systems when they really just want well, to play? Uh, the truth is, is I don't, I don't actually make anybody read any of the rules until we're at the table. Uh-huh. And I know this is, this is not traditionally how it's done, but the way that I do it is I keep it conversational and I just ask people as your character, what is it you think they want to do? in you know being faced with this situation and they tell me and then i go okay well look on your sheet you know find your stealth roll and now see the you know and roll this and okay now and and i'll take i'll slow the narrative down i'll slow the game down and teach somebody how to do it but i try and start with what do you want or what does your character want first that way they have a motivation to learn it if i just go hey this rule works in these situations 
and this rule works in those situations. Whatever, they're not going to have any context. So, uh, you know, uh, and I've trained. I don't. I don't want to brag or anything, but I've I've trained a lot of players, and I'm trying to come up with a relatively close number. I would say modestly 50 some odd role players of uh, you know and through through online and in real life and it really does come back down to what do you want and because when you want something and this is creativity in general when you want something you're going to figure out how to get it you're going to solve the problem and that can be some pretty strange answers that come out of people's mouths yeah. when it's yeah. like you know what does your character want in this situation uh, but it's the absolute core human narrative function is being in some place and wanting to be someplace else or wanting something else. And so that's kind of how I teach the rules. That's how I kind of go at it, um, you know, as a, as a GM is trying to keep them engaged with wanting something. And then that will teach them the rules and it will also move the story forward. So, um, yeah, that's how I do it. Well, I, I've, I've just typed out here cause I, I, uh, I, you've, we've had so many good advice bombs throughout this <laughs> show. I know, I'm just gandled you know, No, it's, over here, it's great. <laughs> so if you want to be creative, this is Jared Adamo's guide to being creative. First, ask, what do you want? Second, edit for attention. <laughs> and three, have a relatable entry point to ease people into uh, what, you're, what you're making. That's that's what I've gathered yeah. from today. <laughs> yeah, this is this is that sounds much better than what I said. No, no, it, it's what you said, just uh, taken from across. Boiled down and, and said eloquently. <laughs> well, anyways, thank you so much for coming on the show. I end every show asking for a recommendation from the creatives I talk to, um, and this this can be anything. A lot of people kind of just gravitate to what I first suggest. So instead of su- suggesting even like a genre or an item. Uh, what would you like to recommend? I would say, and this is going to be a bit cliched for anybody who is familiar with the D&D universe, um, I would say go on YouTube and watch Campaign 1 of Critical Role with Matthew Mercer as the GM because um, it's pretty amazing and it's pretty exciting stuff and it's very accessible. Uh, so, yeah, that's what I'd recommend. Campaign one, I would campaign critical role. Echo that. Yeah, it's it's great. It's basically the pitch for it. It's a bunch of voice actors that do like voice acting for like animation and all sorts of stuff. They sit around a table and they play D and D, but they they voice act the entire thing. So it's like you're watching yeah. a radio show unfold, except they're playing it through the guise of this game. It's it's phenomenal. It is it is excellent. And what's funny about Matthew, if I could say real quickly, is that I started off really intentionally disliking Matthew because uh, uh, you know I was he's the celebrity and it's D&D and he's just he's good looking and he's cool and he's just <laughs> everyone loves him and whatever so I, I went into it with that like nah this guy's no I don't like him and then I've watched some and, and I just like he's won me over he's just one of the nicest people ever and he's a great GM and he really does care about people and the game and wider wider sort of stuff so Anyways, and I guess that's one of the other things that goes back to to who who you play with and how you engage with this stuff is that at the end of the day, uh, you know these these cool personalities and stuff. You know, get them out, get on the table, and and get everyone shares. And yeah, you can have this really cool stuff kind of come out um, creatively when you collaborate that way. 
So well, what what a great yeah. place to start if you're interested in tabletop role playing is yeah, watch some professionals do it. Anyways, Jared, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and we should just we should catch up and play some games at some point as well. I, I look forward to it, Clay. It's been a huge honor. I appreciate it. I hope your your listeners go well with the current situation out in the world. And yeah, I appreciate you having. Yeah, me you stay safe yourself. This has been Thank the Maker. We're out. Enjoy your day. Hmm.